be with you again today. And let me begin by asking you the question that is forming the title of the series this month. How is it growing? How is it growing, Oak Ridge Bible Chapel? Looking back to last week, if you are here last Sunday, let me ask you, with respect to the week that has passed, did you bring it last week? Did you really bring it last week? We're going to continue to think about this series uh, that focuses on personal growth. And it is uh, anchored in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Last week, we read this chapter and began this series where Jesus identifies his followers as branches and he encourages each one of us to pursue a fruitful life of character growth through abiding very near to him, the true vine. Last week, we considered the purpose of growth and focused on verse 8, which teaches us that when we bear or bring much character fruit, we glorify our Heavenly Father. This morning, we will center our thoughts on the producer of growth, highlighting verses uh, verse 5 in our scripture reading. And so with this in mind, please turn to John chapter 15. And I'm going to read the first seven or eight verses in this chapter as our scripture reading this morning. And I'm reading from the New International Version. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Here Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The Lord will bless to us the reading of his word this morning. Let's just pray and ask for his blessing. Lord, we do thank you for bringing us together this morning. We are truly grateful and thankful for all that you have done in our lives, both temporal and eternal. And as we open your word today, we pray that each one here will receive a blessing, a blessing directly from you. Father, it's our desire to glorify and honor your name, and we seek to do so now. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The producer, the source of growth in our lives is Jesus Christ, the true vine. It's certainly very appropriate to be thinking about Jesus, the producer and source of growth, on this Thanksgiving weekend. It's good for us to acknowledge the Lord for supplying the abundance of the harvest, if you will, but this morning we want to acknowledge him as the source of all that is good and fruitful within us. Jesus begins verse 5 by saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. With the understanding that Jesus is the vine, the question I want us to consider this morning is this, how, that's always a key question, we can talk a lot and never get to the how sometimes, How does Jesus produce and supply nourishment to us 
who he refers to in this illustration as branches. How does he produce and supply nourishment to us? How does that process take place? We could, well, some could. Uh, Bob, some of the scientists here with us, I'm not a science teacher, but could kind of break down this beautiful illustration biologically and explain how the nutrients, et cetera, move uh, through the vine to the branches. We won't go into that detail this morning, but just keeping it simple, what does that process look spiritually for us as we apply this illustration to our lives? How does Jesus nourish us? How does he supply what we need to grow? Well, I believe there's a number of answers to that question, but the one I want to focus on this morning comes from verse 7 of this same passage. Here's what it says. Go down to verse 7. There we read this. If you remain in me and my words, my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. In this verse, Jesus makes reference to his words, which clearly identifies one very important way in which he, the vine, supplies nourishment to us, his branches, providing us with what we need to grow and produce fruit, to produce the character fruit that this passage is all about. What do you need to grow this morning? Whatever it is, the words of Jesus can help and be used to promote growth in your life. And this Thanksgiving weekend, I want us this morning to focus on being thankful for the words of Jesus Christ. I was thinking about um, self-help books and came across this article, uh, which describes a book written by a Jessica Lamb Shapiro, which is a witty, sharp look at the $1 billion self-help book industry in America. And it's a history of self-help books that she traces and, and describes in this book. And it goes back hundreds of years. But, but self-help books are the world's best-selling genre of books. It's kind of interesting, right? So there's a lot of people spend a lot of money on on self-help books. And I'm not saying that that's a negative thing. There's a lot of really helpful things that others have learned from that put into books that we can learn from. I, I believe that. Interestingly, directly or indirectly, many of the thoughts that are communicated are scriptural in nature, which is kind of interesting, right? But this was an interesting sort of look at self-help books. For example, we can go back hundreds of years, but just going back just to the 1800s, the article says, in the 1800s, people voraciously consumed advice on weight loss, parenting, marriage, time management, home management, etiquette, success, self-control, mind power, grief, self-medicine, etc., etc., etc. No psychological subject was considered too challenging for the lay person to apprehend themselves and make all the changes they needed to. Periodicals published articles with titles like this, I had appendicitis and cured it myself. <laughs> I'm sure a doctor would like to hear about that. When Samuel Miles' Self-Help, a collection of inspirational stories about hard-working men rising through the ranks, appeared in 1859, the same year Darwin's Origin of the Species was published, the only book it didn't outsell was the Bible. Interesting, huh? Despite its ubiquity, it's hard to say whether or not self-help books really help anybody. There was very little scholarship on the subject. Publishing statistics claim that 80% of self-help book customers are repeat buyers. So think about that. 
which would indicate that the bucks aren't really helping. Some suggest that buyers of self-help books don't read more than the first 20 pages, if they open them at all. Just the act of buying a self-help book is reported to make some people just feel better, right? A New York City subway ad for the Marble Collegiate Church, where self-help author Norman Vincent Peale once preached, explains the basic anxiety that fuels this mammoth industry. Life doesn't come with an instruction manual. Or does it? See, I think it does. And it's in my hand. (laughs) The greatest self-help book that exists is this one. Because it contains God's truth. It contains the words of Jesus Christ that we can use to help ourselves for today, for tomorrow, and for all eternity. And so this morning, I want to expand that thought a little bit more as we consider how is it that Jesus, the vine, nourishes us. How does that happen? Well, I'm suggesting it happens, as verse 7 says, through his words. And as his word remains in us, we have the potential to grow. And as we think about that on Thanksgiving weekend, I hope you are as thankful as I am for, for the words of Jesus Christ that we have, you know, protected for us, preserved for us, and that we can hold in our hands and use each and every day to bring it, to grow, to develop the character that he desires within each one of us. And as we expand these thoughts further, please notice three things. The words of Jesus instruct. The words of Jesus inspire. And thirdly, the Lord, the words of Jesus illuminate. First of all, the words of Jesus instruct. And to begin with this morning, I want to make very clear that the words of Jesus instruct us that salvation is possible and available to everyone who by faith believes and accepts Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And if we were to go back in the same Gospel of John to chapter 3, we have recorded there for us the discussion that took place between Jesus and a man called Nicodemus. And if you have a Bible that has red print in it, you'll notice a lot of red print. And those red print words represent the words of Jesus. And in verse 16 of John 3, we know that famous statement. In speaking to Nicodemus, responding to him, Jesus said, For God so loved the world, Nicodemus, and he so loved you that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. We need to begin this morning with that reality that the words of Jesus instruct us with regards to the way of salvation. Do you believe in what Jesus has instructed as the way of salvation? Have you by faith embraced him as your Savior and your Lord? I hope you have. I hope you are. I hope you are here this morning as a living branch who by faith is connected to Jesus Christ, the vine. And as he says in verse 1, even more specifically, the true vine. And I hope that you each day are being instructed by his words to grow and develop and become the person and the character that he wants you and he wants me to become. As I began to think about this, my thoughts went to the Sermon on the 
on the mount. I want to be careful. I want to say the Sermon on the Mount. It's a bad reference to baseball. Um, the Sermon on the Mount is, uh, again, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, where there we find this condensed, amazing teaching that is just page after page after page of red words, right, in our, a lot of Bibles, where Jesus is, is instructing, is teaching his disciples. And here we find <clears throat> instruction that concerns the Lord's expectations for our character and our conduct. And if we want to be fruitful, growing branches, then we need to receive these instructional, nourishing words from Jesus, the true vine. And if we take a brief look at this great sermon, which, you know, some have suggested every church should begin in January in the Sermon on the Mount, every year. I think there's something to that. You notice how the how it all begins. In, in Matthew chapter 5, we read, Now when he saw the crowds, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples, the branches, came to him and he began to teach or he began to instruct them. And here we see the, the true vine alongside the branches. His disciples and he begins to, to instruct or teach them. So we see this illustration playing out here. The, the vine is sitting down. The vine, the source of life, the source of truth, the source of eternal nourishment is, is sitting down. And the branches come and align themselves beside him and he begins to instruct them. He begins to teach them. He begins to use words that will be eternally beneficial to them and their spiritual growth and development. And I want you to notice where Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. And again, we could spend a lot of time here, but we will make our comments brief this morning just to make the point. So if we go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Where did he begin? Where did Jesus begin instructing and teaching? Was it about conduct? No, it was about character. Character. You see, it's always about character. Jesus cares about, and the Lord cares about who we are. Because if who we are is who we should be, then the conduct will look after itself, right? And so he begins with the Beatitudes, as one scholar said, these are the attitudes that should be in all of us, right? This is the character that should be in all of us. And this is where Jesus begins. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He begins with character. That is the fruit that the Lord desires we produce. And it's something that takes 
our whole lifetime to continue to, to work at and develop and grow. And the producer of our growth, the source of our growth is Jesus Christ. And, and he uses his words to infuse the nutrients into us that we really need to, to enhance this growth process. And when we bring it, as we talked about last week, when we grow and develop the fruit of Christ-like character in our lives, guess what happens? This is connecting our thoughts this week to last. What happens when we manifest Christ-like character? What happens when the world sees growth in our character? What happens? Well, we go down to verse a little bit further in Matthew chapter 5. We read that our lives will shine like a bright light to others. And when that happens, it says, they will see your good works and what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. Right? And that's what we talked about last week. The purpose of growth, the purpose of us becoming Christ-like is what? To glorify and honor our heavenly Father. The words of Jesus instruct us. Are you thankful this morning for the words of Jesus Christ? But secondly, notice that the words of Jesus inspire. After Jesus had completed the Sermon on the Mount, we read these words at the end of Matthew chapter 7. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. People were amazed They were inspired by what Jesus said. When he spoke, people were in awe. said, wow, this is like stuff I've never heard before. These these words are, are spoken as one who has authority. And so he did. He was the very son of God. He was God himself in the flesh. And people were amazed. They were inspired. They were awestruck by his teaching. The words of Jesus, the true vine, inspire us and so, in so doing promote growth in our lives. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3, Paul wrote this. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor promoted by love, and your endurance inspired, there's that word, by the hope found in Jesus Christ. The producer, the source of growth in our lives is Jesus, the true vine. And through his words, we are instructed and we are also inspired by the hope that we receive through him. Have you been inspired recently by the words of Jesus Christ? Again, thinking about the Sermon on the Mount, my thought went to chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, where Jesus says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? 
For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly fathers knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has trouble of its own. Don't worry. Don't worry. There's a message we need to say from our pulpits and teach more and more and more, it seems today, that don't, don't worry. You see, we live in challenging times. Economically, we live in challenging times. We live in a community that is the most expensive place to live in Canada, pretty much, along with Vancouver. It's one of the most expensive places to live in North America. That's where we live. That's where the good Lord has us. Talking to a friend last week, we know these stories. The real estate people know these stories over and over again. But, you know, Grandpa bought a house in the city in 1980 for 70 grand. He just sold it for 2 million. Right? People are bidding 50, 60, 70, 100, $200,000 over asking price. We are living in crazy economical times. Costs are through the roof. And unfortunately, the high paying jobs that we need to pay for all this stuff aren't there. And, and, and so we, we worry, don't we? We worry about how are we going to pay for, how are we going to live? And for those of us who are older, how are our kids going to, going to make it? We don't want them having to move to Timbuktu. We want them here with us, right? But, but how can they afford to live here? And we, we worry about that. Those are legitimate concerns. And yet Jesus says, the words of Jesus inspire hope in us. He says, look, don't worry. Well, what do you mean, don't worry? You know? You've seen the cost of stuff? Don't worry. Look, Jesus says, don't worry. Seek the kingdom. Pursue righteousness. Focus on those eternal things. Seek to be the person I want you to be. Seek to follow the direction of the king of this kingdom, who is a loving heavenly father who loves you. I know what you need. I know what you need. I know what's best for you. I know what's eternally best for you. So just just put me first. Put put my principles, my values, to the best of your ability first. And I, and I know we, you know, as committed as we can be, that we don't we don't always do that. But he says, don't, don't worry, I'll, I'll look after you. I know it's best for you. Trust me. Just, just trust me. All those, we all may have to make adjustments economically as things shift and change. But Jesus says, don't, don't worry. Trust me. Put me first. Put my values. Seek those things that, that you know I want you to seek first and and I'll take care of I know what's eternally best for you. Does that inspire hope in you? It does for me. And I went back in my own life history over 30 years ago. And I have to be honest, I, gotta, I want to be accurate in my storytelling. I can't remember whether it was just when I graduated and was hoping to get a job as a teacher. Or whether it was a year later when I had a job but was told you don't any longer have a job. (laughs) 
And uh, that didn't happen much. It's happened once in the last 30 years in our board where people were declared excess. That means we don't need you anymore. So I had worked for one year. We had bought a house. Our son Brandon was born in March. And in like April, May, principal comes to me and says, Dale, we'd love to keep you, but you're low man on the, you know, on the staffing list here. And, and we don't have a job for you. And worse than that, the board doesn't have a job for you. You don't have a job. Huh? <laughs> Mortgage. Little boy. Sue's at home with her son. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Right? And shortly around after that, we went to a funeral. And it's one of those, again, those benchmark moments in your life. And we go to this funeral. And there was an elderly friend of Sue's family who was a retired uh, principal, school principal. And he was a kind, gracious, kind, grandfatherly person. And he came up to me and he just asked me how it was going. Well, it's, it's not going so great, you know. I don't, like, I don't have a job as of June the 30th. You know, Dale, he put his arm around me. He was a little guy, a little short man. He put his arm around me and he says, Look around this room, Dale. Good Lord's looking after all these people. He's going to look after you. Just put him first in your life. He knows what you need. You leave that, you leave the worrying to him. He knows what you need. He knows what is eternally best for you and your family. Don't worry. <laughs> he was kind of reflecting the teaching here in the sermon, and, and it, it helped me. It helped me. And maybe that's you where you are this morning. We, 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 we need to be praying for you if you're at that crossroad in your life of, you know, not sure what to do, <clears throat> where, how bills are going to be paid, all that stuff. We need to be praying for you. We don't take those things lightly, but we turn your attention as mine has been changed and has been changed a number of times over the years to the producer of all things. To the creator of all things who says, don't worry, I know what you need. Those words inspire hope, as Paul says. And I have to say, you know, 30 years later, I don't deserve any of it. But the Lord has been so faithful in my life. Yes, we pursue the kingdom, we seek the kingdom, we, we try and do what is right, as the scripture tells us, but we don't always, do we? I don't. And if you do, we need to sit down and talk, because, man, I need to get to know you better. But in spite of that, God has been so faithful, and so in this Thanksgiving weekend, we give thanks, give thanks for a lot of things. And that was over 30 years ago, which I was reminded of, this is just an aside, but this past week has been a week of talking. I've been talking all week. I've been going representing our school all week, talking to our what we call our feeder schools, the schools where we might potentially get some students to come to our school. And I go and we make presentations and I talk about our school and, you know, we show a little promotional video we've had done. We... We kind of go into the crowd with uh, T-shirts from our school, and I ask questions about my presentation. We give shirts away. You think we were giving away gold bars to these kids. In some cases, 
You know, I've done this with 900 grade six, seven, and eight sitting on a gym floor. This week, our biggest crowd was about 350 kids sitting on a gym floor listening to me for 45 minutes, right? It's, it's a tough gig, but I have a lot of fun doing it. And after the presentation, or during the presentation, I'm either introduced uh, with some detail or I offer it. And I'll say, you know, I'm Mr. Ward, and I'm the head of the phys ed department, and I teach phys ed at my school, and I've been there for like 30 years. And so, and then I go on and do my thing. Well, at the end of a presentation this week, one of the questions I asked them for a t-shirt was, tell me one thing that is unique about our school. And all the hands are going up, they're wanting this, you know, t-shirt. And these two girls, like they're like 12, they're around there, they're talking to each other in the front row. And you know what I heard one of them say, in all seriousness? What's unique about Mr. Ward's school? One thing that's unique is they have a very old phys ed teacher. (laughs) You out! No, I didn't do that. (laughs) But as I reflect on those long 30 years, I know to a 12-year-old, 55, you might as well be 155, right? doesn't matter. But the words of Jesus inspire us and inspire us with hope. And thirdly, I want us to think about the fact that the words of Jesus illuminate. They illuminate for us a perfect character example that should challenge us to grow as we seek to be more like him. Returning to the Sermon on the Mount, just just again to keep our thoughts focused as examples of the words of Jesus. And in this wonderfully condensed section of scripture, we have so much to think about, but Chapter 7, verses 1 to 3, the words, think about this, the words of Jesus illuminate for us a perfect character example. Here's what he teaches in the first three verses. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? It's the teaching. It's hard teaching. It causes a lot of self-reflection. We don't need any more examples than just go home and turn on CNN and you'll know what this is talking about. (laughs) Unbelievable, huh? What is going on and what in the political world in which we live... (laughs) Oh, don't judge, or you two will be judged. I actually heard this this morning on CNN. An interviewer was conducting an interview with somebody about the nonsense of this weekend. And the person being interviewed said, Now, now, he who has not sinned cast the first stone. (laughs) The interviewer said, well, I'm going to cast some stones because I've never said done, done that in my life. And blah. Are you kidding me? What are we doing? And it's so easy to sort of watch this stuff play out and go, are you kidding me? You say this about me and I say this about you. Wow, how old are we? How far have we gotten from what this book values? Are you kidding me? 
That's the best we've got. Is that what's just pumping out hours and hours and hours of coverage is judging one another? Really? But you know what? I don't need to talk about anybody else. I just need to look in the mirror. I'm no better. There are times when I get so bent out of shape about the speck, or let me even back it up, folks, the perceived speck in somebody else's eye, and I got a two-by-four hanging out of mine. That's the teaching of Jesus. Well, Dale, you said this was going to illuminate something for us. Well, it certainly illuminates who I am, but but let's look not to CNN for examples of what it should look like and sound like. Let's turn to the words of Jesus to have illuminated for us the perfect character example related to being judgmental, critical, and unforgiving. And as we turn to Luke 23, verse 34, while Jesus was dying the most horrific, violent death on the cross of Calvary, as he was suffering crucifixion, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Wow. You talk about throwing light on the greatest character there is. Those who he created, those who he was dying for, were hurling insults and crucifying him. And he says, Father, forgive them. They they don't know what they're doing. And there's times in my life where I see what I perceive to be a speck with somebody else, and I can't forgive them, man. I'm holding on to that. I'm going to write that person off and go, whatever. And I hear the words of Jesus in my mind, in my heart. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And friends, the reality in our lives is, you know the reality? Most of the time, people don't know what they're... They didn't intend to hurt me. They didn't intend to take a shot at me. But boy, if we just perceive that speck in some small way, sometimes we can get so hardened by it. We can become so judgmental. We can become so unforgiving. And what hurts? The relationships in our lives can be hurt. And yet that is what has such tremendous wealth and value in our lives. And to keep that from happening, what needs to be growing? Character. Character that is characterized by the fruit of forgiveness and love that is ideally and represented perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ, whose words in the most horrific moment of his life were words of forgiveness. Do you see how the words of Jesus illuminate for us an example that is so helpful for us to grow? The words of Jesus illuminate a heart, a character that far exceeds mine. And and this challenges, I hope it challenges, growth 
in my life and challenges a desire to bring it. Because when I hear words like that from Jesus Christ, it says, Dale, man, bring it. Like, bring it. You can do so much better than you're doing, man. Jesus, the true vine, is the producer, the source of growth in our lives. He, in part, nourishes us through his words that instruct us, inspire us, and illuminate for us an example that exceeds our own. As we close this morning, let's give thanks to the words of Jesus Christ. Let's be quick to read them and reflect on them often. Let's turn to Jesus as the primary source of growth in our lives, because as we read in John 15, 5, without me... You can do nothing. Without the life that comes from Jesus, specifically through his words this morning, we can do nothing. And as I think about that statement, and I've probably shared this illustration with you before, because this is another mark in my, in my mind. This is another marker. And I don't even know, Daryl, you may have been there. I, f- I forget who was there. It was a long time ago. But we were up at Wildwood Bible Camp. We used to spend our s- month of August there for a number of years helping uh, Sue's uh, sister and her husband run family camp primarily. S- Sue and others like Daryl and Kathy and others would would go up and actually work by day and night making food and all the rest of it. And my job was to make sure people were having a good time, so I played with people. That's what, you know, everybody's got their role, right? And um, we spent most of the month of August there doing that, and there was always a speaker. And I just remember one night up in the lodge uh, at Wildwood Bible Camp, and Uncle Charlie was, was speaking, and he was a man at that point who probably would have been, um, you know, in his 80s or early 80s then, and he had been a missionary in Africa for, I believe, over 40 years. And he was, uh, he was a character. He was a, he was a man who had a tremendous sense of humor that we loved. He was a man who beautifully reflected in so many ways the character of Jesus Christ that we have been reading about this morning and thinking about this morning. And he was talking about that statement, without me, you can do nothing. He wasn't necessarily an eloquent speaker, but I have never forgotten the experience because he had this massive, not like this Bible, but he had a massive Schofield loose-leaf Bible, right? So it was about that thick. And the paper could come out to be written on and put back in it, right? Somebody gave him that Bible before he went to Africa as a young man. And now, a man, I'm just saying, early 80s, that was still his Bible, it had like elastic bands around it, right? Because it was just falling apart. The leather, and in those days it was real leather, right? It was all torn and wrinkled and that Bible had been spent 40 years in Africa and it was, it was just a part of his life and it was just been devoured. There was writing all over it on every page and you know, stuff falling out and all the rest of it. He was a man who who not only knew the words of Jesus, but he applied those words to his life and his character reflected that. He was a man we all love for so many reasons. And I just remember how he finished the sermon, the message that I don't even know what the message was about. 
but I just have this visual impression in my mind. That massive Bible just sat on a pulpit. And he'd finished saying what he was saying, and he just, he just closed it, which you had to be careful to do, because it would all fall apart again, right? And then he folded those hands, those hands of a servant of God. And he just said, all I want you to know is this, folks. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Never forgotten it. I'll take it to my grave. That image of somebody who reflected the true vine. Who, as we're going to consider next week, knew what it was to abide, to remain close to that vine. And he has a branch reflected beautiful fruit, the fruit of character that was so impressive and impressionable to me, without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for being with us today. Thank you for your great love. Thank you today for your words, which articulate that love, show us that love, represent that love. Thank you for your words that instruct, that inspire, and that illuminate for us the greatest example there is of the kind of fruit that we are to be growing. Encourage us. And the week ahead to be people that represent you and reflect you in character and in deed. And Father, it's our desire to glorify and honor you as a result of that. Thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen.